When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself And there's some stories I can tell you This is the final word, story time. I'm Jeff Fleming. I know that Adam Collins told you earlier in the week that we would not be doing story time because it was Easter and, and all of the rest of it, but... We couldn't stay away. It was, it was as if millions of voices suddenly cried out in the darkness and, and I knew that the people needed story time. They wanted story time. And even though Adam's on, on his Easter break, luckily we had a groundswell of popular demand for an encore performance. Uh, so we have with us again this weekend, Bharat Sundares, and welcome back to the show. Uh, hi, Jess. Yeah, very different circumstances, I must say. I... The only spirits I've had this morning are two, five, four shots of coffee. And, uh, you know, we're not sitting face to face like we were then. And we are not in our uh, bathing gowns either. So, uh, yeah, a few differences, I must say. But, uh, yeah, I'm still suitably dressed for the show. Yeah, you're, you're back home in Adelaide safely, uh, back from Pakistan. And we're... We're having a, a little rest before we head off for our next adventures. So different mm. configurations on the show over the last couple of weeks as Adam and I work out how to keep doing all of the things that we need to do. We won't be doing revisits this week. Adam and I will do a big revisits show in the next couple of weeks with all of the, the long list that we've got to get through. Also, if you've noticed that there haven't been Brick Lane giveaways the last couple of weeks, uh, there may be again soon. We're working out our new deal with Brick Lane and, and that may even let us do retrospective giveaways. So we'll see how all of that pans out in the future. But I'm glad to see that you're, you're safe back and hanging out with your two very handsome dogs, Bharat. Yeah, uh, though Alfie has grown uh, beyond recognition. Uh, Alfred is a Marima uh, sheep dog. And when I left for Pakistan, he was so little that he used to like run uh, in between Ollie's legs. And, uh, you know, he was the small puppy. He had to, he needed help to climb onto the bed. And then when Isha came to pick me up at the airport, there were two bags, uh, two dogs in the back in, in our tiny car. And I literally didn't recognize the other one. It was like, <laughs> wow, because he's now bigger than Ollie, but still with the brain of a five-month-old. Uh, but yeah, like I was telling you before we started recording, he's uh, uh, he's the naughty one. He gets away with a lot of mischief. So it reminds uh, me a lot of my own childhood, <laughs> though I didn't. I did grow taller than my brother but uh, yeah i still i don't know i don't know whether i'm smarter than him uh, yeah so it's been uh, good to be back in adelaide uh, i'm sure you've caught up on some sleep as well uh, i will say this though the last time we recorded we were in room number 3376 i did stay on for uh, nearly two more weeks after you left it it wasn't the same so i did mm. stuff your bed up with a lot of things just so that it felt like you were there <laughs> Well, <laughs> I can be replaced by pillows, then um, that's, that, that's a much less troublesome version some of the time. Uh, we, 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 have, we have things to do. We have, we have busy days ahead of us. So we're going to plow into this show. The show is story time. The mechanism for the show is a game called 
Nerd Pledge or Nerd Pledge. Nerd Pledge. It's a game that we accidentally invented on the final word. We play it with all of the lovely people on our patron page. They're the ones who fund the show. And instead of just sending us random contributions, they send us very specific contributions. They send us specific numbers, denominations of currency, because those numbers relate to cricket in some way. And we have to work out what the number means. Uh, Bharat will have first swing this week. The number is from Aravind Rao Karanam. It is $4.35. And so 435, we could interpret that in as many ways as we want. We can move the decimal point where we want. And nerd pledges don't have to send a clue, but they can. And Aravind has sent a clue, which begins with a quote from someone else. The quote says, I wanted to blank blank twice. He said, he nearly did it, but he definitely did another thing twice in successive matches, an improbable win, a great birthday present. So aside from the fact that all of us want to blank blank twice, uh, you know, <laughs> fill that in with, with the words that you prefer, somebody wanted to and somebody nearly did. What have you made of 435 for Aravind? As clues go, there are a few which are very, very obvious. And uh, Arvind Rao, starting with the name Arvind Rao, so clearly he's from India or he's of Indian origin. Uh, and it's a very famous quote in Indian cricket history. And 435 is also a very famous number because th- that 435 is exactly the number of runs that Sachin Tendulkar scored in that famous uh, Coca-Cola Tri-Series, uh, uh. there you go, sponsor plug, uh, in <laughs> Sharjah, in, uh, uh, you know, and the quote basically is he said, I wanted to beat Australia twice. So blank blank is beat Australia. Okay. And uh, yeah, I mean, and, and it's since gone down in Indian cricket history as uh, as significant uh, an event as maybe even the 1983 World Cup or the birth of the IPL. There are so many cricketers of the modern era from Virat Kohli to mm. Rohit Sharma who will like, you know, who say that they wanted to become an India cricketer the day they saw Sachin Tendulkar score those two hundreds, the two things that Arvind says uh, he did do in successive matches. He made that famous uh, uh, 143 in the First of those, the famous Desert Storm innings, where mm-hmm. he helped India qualify for the final. And uh, then again, repeated the feat in less than uh, 30 hours when he made 1-3-4, if I'm not mistaken, in the final as India beat Australia uh, to win that uh, pretty famous triangular series. Back in the day when there were a lot of triangulars played and I personally was a huge fan of them. Mm-hmm. It was just overall like a fantastic uh, uh, Sharjah triangle. At this point, India has to go to Sharjah and play one every year. Invariably, it used to be the whole India-Pakistan uh, battle. But to see them go to Sharjah and play against Australia and New Zealand was quite epic because it was also the first time they were playing against those two teams in coloured clothing there. Uh-huh. But I'll tell you one more thing. It's also the only time ever that uh, tub thumping from Chumba Wumba and Richie Beno <laughs> can be spoken of in the same breath. <laughs> because... <laughs> <laughs> because I, I don't know what it was like outside, but for some strange reason, the theme song for that tournament uh-huh. was like, you get, I get yeah. knocked down, but I get up, you know, can anybody keep okay. me down? And, you know, after having already spent like seven, eight years of my life listening to uh, Richie Beno welcoming like the audiences from around the world to the Gabba mm. or to the Adelaide Oval, and, you know, at the end of the Channel 9 music, like, tin, 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 yeah. tin, tin, tin. Yeah. it was quite interesting listening to, <laughs> like, you know, I get knocked down and that leading into Richie Beno uh, 
uh, welcoming everyone to Sharjah because wow. I, I don't know how they scored it. I think full credit to Mark Mascarenas, the the late Mark Mascarenas, who was Sachin Tendulkar's agent and uh, really did a lot for cricket, which uh, doesn't get spoken of uh, enough. I mean, he really reintroduced Tony Gregg to the subcontinent. Like mm-hmm. you know, Tony Gregg was made by Kerry Packer, Tony Gregg, the commentator, but he really reintroduced Tony Gregg to the subcontinent. It started with Mark Mascarenas and. Uh, uh, yeah, maybe uh, that's what led to Richie Beno being convinced to come there. That, that, that's the only time I think Richie Beno, at least in that era, went anywhere but England or Australia. I think hmm. 96 World Cup was a break. And then that <laughs> Charger Trophy, where wow. he wasn't singing, at, uh, you know, he wasn't swaying to Chumba Wumba. Maybe he was. I maybe think. he loved it. Maybe, maybe, he, yeah. maybe he was propped up at the hotel bar going... I have a whiskey drink. I have a vodka drink. Uh, I sing the songs that remind me of the good times. I sing the songs that remind me of the better times. You know, you, you never know. He might have. He might have been but mad into that tune. I think he was, and he wasn't in that uh, classic Richie Beno jacket either. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, which you saw him in on uh, if you were watching cricket in Australia or playing cricket '97, where he would very curtly tell you if you didn't score enough runs, that's it. There isn't any more now. They will be really disappointed with what they've got on the board. Like, yeah, which, you know, as as a eleven year old, I would be pretty unhappy whenever I didn't make enough runs on cricket ninety seven, and you had Richie Beno scolding you <laughs> all through the computer. But yeah, I mean, it is epic, epic, epic uh, moment. Like I said, in Indian cricket history, and uh, I mean, there's so many things we can talk about um, from that game. Or those games, uh, whether it's Tony Gregg's famous line about the little man has hit the big fella for six when he hit Tom Moody, mm-hmm. uh, the number of sixes he hit of poor Michael Kasprovich, uh, Kasprovich, who we recently dealt with in uh, Pakistan. Or, uh, you know, That's, the, that, that sounds threateningly like we, we buried Michael Kasprovich <laughs> in, in a shallow grave. And we, yeah, we've yeah. taken care of the Casper problem. <laughs> What Tendulkar couldn't do in '98, we did in 2022. <laughs> so, uh, no, and uh, I did uh, speak to Mike Kasprovich one day, or like you know, during the mm. ODS about that. It's like this, right? When an Indian meets Daryl Harper uh, in Adelaide, which he says he meets a lot of Indians here, they ask him about that LBW mm-hmm. decision of Sachin Tendulkar shoulder before the wicket. And when you meet Michael Kasprovich or Tom Moody, you ask them about the time Sachin Tendulkar hit them all over the park in Sharjah. It just <laughs> You just have to. Those are like uh, yeah. uh, must-dos. And yeah, I mean, the desert storm added to the whole atmosphere. And I think Richie Beno also uh, uh, and Ian Chappell were there on commentary talking about how they'd never experienced a desert storm before. It was crazy. Mm. Uh, sorry, a sandstorm. I mean, the innings was uh, referred to as desert storm. But there was a sandstorm during that uh, that mm. 143, which he scored in the uh, in the, that final league game. Sandstorm. It's the song. Oh really? Oh, mm. sure. I didn't know mm. that. Sorry. Is that what it's called? I've, I know the tune, but mm. I didn't know the name. Yeah, of yeah. it's called Sandstorm. Yeah, I am learning a lot. Mm. Oh, okay. There you go. So, so yeah, it did, didn't sound like that. He did beat Australia twice, though, didn't he? So the quote makes it sound like he didn't beat Australia twice. Oh no, he didn't. No, so India didn't beat Australia in the league game, but they got to two thirty-seven. Huh. Like they were chasing around two seventy-two eighty plus, but they had to. This is back in the day when you oh, know the, the net run thing. rates was yeah, yeah was simpler. Yeah. So they had to get to two thirty-seven, and they were in trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Nayan Mongia, both in the final and in that game, played a pinch hitting role where uh, you know people when they talk about Indians doing well against the late Shane Vaughan, they talk about Tendulkar, Kambli, or even Najat Singh Sidhu. But Nayan Mongia really. Took 
and Lakshman, of course. Yeah, uh, but Nayan Monge took him apart, and also Lakshman played a crucial hand alongside Tendulkar. They put on, I think, over a hundred runs, hundred and twelve, mm. where Lakshman made twenty-two or twenty-three of them, and the rest Tendulkar. Like, yeah, and this is a very young VVS Lakshman. Like, you know, still mm. unsure of whether he's a middle-order batter or an opener or a one-day player or a Test player. So, young VVS Lakshman had a big role to play in that. And then, of course, Damien Fleming um, getting Tendulkar out in that game. On his birthday. Uh, no, the uh, the yeah the birthdays were uh, uh, like uh, coincided with the final. Okay. So this is the the Desert Storm is knock is more popular because that kind of got India into the final. Right. And it's funny, like you know, they talk more about that because I think there was a sandstorm in the middle of the innings mm-hmm. than the innings which actually helped India beat Australia right. and really set off the India Australia rivalry. I mean, people talk about two thousand one, but ninety eight was a period where. Australia went goes to India after a long time uh, for a full Test series. They get thrashed and they come back and win the last Test just to like you know the, the dead rubber. Uh, Mark Taylor makes a hundred in Bangalore, and then they have a tri series there where it's the last tri series I think where I remember in uh, white clothing, India, Australia, Zimbabwe, mm. uh, and then they just moved to Sharjah, and I think that's when maybe both boards kind of figured that you know what we might have something here to play with. And then from that point on, like 14, what, 14, 24 years on, uh, India and Australia just can't uh, stay away from each other. Mm. They just play each other every year. <laughs> so even the 2001 gets a lot of credit for that. I think 98 is what set it off. Okay. Well, Aravindrao Karanam, I reckon we have got your number in that case. That's a 435. Aranda Jayavikrama is up next with $4.76. He says it was part of a momentous moment for Sri Lankan cricket. Now, before I launch into this, I was looking at one thing, but I got the impression that Bharat was thinking of something mm. else. Did you have something about Sri Lanka winning in the West Indies for the first time? Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I did spend some time with this uh, because 476 does feature a few times in Sri Lankan cricket history for some reason. Mm. My first thought immediately was Mahanama and Jayasuriya, but that was 576, not 476. Mm. Uh, a partnership which still goes on somewhere in the world mm. where I'm coming back from school and turning on the TV and hoping that Mahanama is out and he's still not out. But I mean, these days they're on the on the streets of Colombo, you know, for, mm. the, for good reasons, I guess, uh, supporting the cause, the political cause there. But uh, yeah, so then I landed up with 476 the total that Sri Lanka made in Guyana in 2008 mm. and then went on to beat West Indies for the first time ever in a test match so that's what I landed okay on. okay well so that I mean that's a that's a good direct sort of answer maybe more direct than mine but 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 here we go this is this is what I came up with so obviously I looked at momentous Sri Lankan things I looked at the win at the Oval in 1998 uh, and, and of course I looked at the World Cup final in 96 and there is something there. So remember remember in the World Cup final, okay, Australia makes 241, which is a very good one-day score at that time. Yeah. They get both Sri Lankan openers out, and that's the World Cup where it's Jayasuriya and Kalavatarana doing their thing. And, and they're, the, they're the emblems, they're the, they're the talismans for Sri Lanka at that point. They're both out with 23 on the board, and Sri Lanka from that point should lose. But they stroll it in. They get their three wickets down with four overs to spare. Asanka Gurusina makes 66 to set it up. Everyone remembers Aravinda de Silva making an unbeaten 100. But at the other end, when they get to the end of the chase, is the mastermind of that team, right? This is Ranatunga, Arjuna Ranatunga, the, who, who sort of who got 
famous as a kind of villain character in, in Australia for, for entirely unknown reasons. I'm not sure why Australians uh, had a certain resentment towards a Sri Lankan player who, who stuck up for himself. But anyway, <laughs> he's the one who pulled it all together. Like he, he got players in that team who couldn't afford to, to live in Colombo and train. He had them all staying at his house. He was making sure they all got fed. He was like funding equipment and all this kind of stuff. He, he, was, he was making sure that he pulled this team together from a really sort of amateur level to to a level that could compete in this World Cup. He's the, he's the guy who made that title happen. And so he's out there batting with Aravinda to Silva uh, for, the, for the later part of that run chase. And people remember, you know, Shane Warne's bowling in that innings. They're like, oh, Warne didn't win the match for Australia. He takes none for 58. But he could have because he has Aravinda to Silva dropped off an inside edge. Ian Healy puts him down um, relatively early on. And then even late in the piece, there's there's a moment where Ranatunga hits a, a straight drive really hard, smashes it back, but straight back at Shane Warne, and it goes just over his right shoulder, and Warne gets his hands up but can't quite get up quickly enough to catch it. So at that point, Sri Lanka are 24 runs short of a win, and this is exactly the sort of situation where Australia got the West Indies to choke in the semi-final from about three wickets down, I think, and rolling through the rest of them with about 20 runs left. So you, th- you think if Warren takes that catch, they're four down at that point, Sri Lanka, and maybe, maybe you know, a new player in, maybe that's the point where that Australian team had the charisma where they could have sort of made things fall apart, right? The interesting thing is the Warren's quite rattled by having dropped the catch. You know, he's turning around watching where it's gone. He's sort of put his hands in his face in his hands not his hands in his face well both I guess and yeah. and, and people always talk about the limitless confidence of Shane Warne but he wasn't always limitlessly confident there were moments when he he did seem sort of outmatched on the field and that was one of them where he you know he was bowling his last over for the night he realized he'd let this chance go and and his next ball like maybe his hands are a bit sweaty I don't know knees weak vomit on his sweater already but he his next ball slips out and it's a huge full toss it's like chest high full toss and Ranatunga plays a pull shot basically to this full bunger and smacks it over fine leg over the fence and it should have been a no ball as well it wasn't called as a no ball but it, it was you know he hit it off about his sternum so it was definitely a no ball but suddenly Sri Lanka need less than 20 at this point and and, and and that hope of putting the pressure on, like the spell's broken, that's the moment where they know they're going to win. You talked about Tony Gregg commentating in the subcontinent. That's the moment of his iconic, these Sri Lankans are giving the Aussies a real hiding. Uh, and they cruise through to the end. Our number is 476. Arjuna Ranatunga finishes on 47, not out with 1-6. Oh, Mm. Wow. I like how you went with it. Yeah, I think that's definitely more a story than uh, like what I came up with. Like you said, it was uh, pretty momentous. I mean, beating the Korea West Indies uh, in a test match. Uh, mm-hmm. And the two teams had, uh, in the Caribbean, that is, they had, of mm-hmm. course, beaten them a few times before that in Sri Lanka. To go to the West Indies, I think it was your third or fourth tour for Sri Lanka there. They'd never really done much. And it was a thumping win as well. Uh, you know, they got the West Indies to uh, uh, follow on. This is Chris Gale's West Indian team. Uh, and I think the timing of the test also, for me, was quite uh, interesting. Considering it happened in March 2008, two months before the IPL starts, or actually a month before the IPL starts, and the world has changed forever. And you see the West, the makeup of the West Indian team. Gail's captain, 
Dwayne Bravo uh, the, is a key all-rounder in the middle order. Pushed up to open the innings uh, in the second innings. Uh, then West Indies are chasing a decent enough total, and they give it a fair shout. And there are already like early rumblings of in Australia come just a month later, but a uh, three key West Indian players will be missing because they have signed IPL deals. Mm. And now, when you think about it, like you know, fourteen years later, it's so uh, common. Like you know, it's commonplace mm. talking to players being um, missing international tours to go play in the IPL. But back then, the IPL had not even started and it had already started creating a stir in the Caribbean. Mm. But still, they were all so dedicated to the West Indies. Still, then, then Gale and Bravo being the key figures. Of course, you had Sarwan. And Chandra Paul and Samuel is a pretty good, mm-hmm. strong West Indian team. But yeah, and Sri Lanka, I think uh, a couple of guys stood out for me: Malinda, Warnapura, and Tilan Tushara, who I thought could have played a lot more for Sri Lanka, but somehow just got lost in the mix. Uh, Warnapura, I thought had a decent record in Test cricket. I remember him getting some runs against India as well. But they set it up. Mahela Jayawardena scored a classy hundred. Uh, and yeah, I mean, West Indies tried holding on. It also there was this dramatic catch from Mutai Muralidharan, uh, and uh, you know. Uh, his fielding often doesn't get spoken of as much as it should, either his bowling or his funny batting. But uh, he did take some freaky catches, and I think you should go and see that one. Darren Powell late in the day tries to clear mid off, and he like just starts circling back and just sticks his hand up behind him, and somehow uh, I think he just grabs the ball. And I'm sure then he grabbed the ball and like you know bowled an off break or something. But no, it was quite the. Quite the catch and quite the win for uh, Sri Lanka. So I'm going with that. Well, I will say for all of the um, attention given to the IPL, Chris Gale still does all his marketing using a test innings. He still uses three 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 for everything. So exactly. uh, if if you want to talk about what what matters more, uh, our next number for you, Parat, is from Tane Aikman. It is $1.93. And he says, one of this New Zealand fan's earliest and best cricket and bird watching memories 193 right so as soon as i saw the bird watching memories bit i th- i imagined uh, uh, like you know our listener was talking about martin crow mm-hmm. bird crow sure. uh, and then i started looking uh, at uh, 193 and martin crow like if there was any connection you never made a 193 in uh, test cricket funnily enough he made quite a few 188s mm-hmm. i don't know why but he seemed that seemed to be uh, a mark for the great martin crow could have been uh, one of the it, other crows there were about six crows weren't there playing that's true the maybe the number of movies that russell crowe has made i don't know well, 93 <laughs> does he does seem to have made a lot of movies but yeah. uh I, I eventually landed up on and because it the, this is like you know an early memory for a new zealand fan and we are in 2022 i just imagine they were talking about a one day a very famous one day in 1990 played in hobart australia mm-hmm. v new zealand where uh, and I've seen highlights of that uh, game very often. They show it on TV here uh, because it's a famous game. Because one ninety three is what Australia got while chasing one ninety five. So New Zealand make one ninety four in Hobart, and you know which was a decent score for nineteen ninety in conditions where the ball's moving a lot, and Australia flounder and lose by one run. Where Chris Pringle holds a maiden. 50th over, Australia go into that over needing uh, two runs. Bruce Reed's on strike and he bowls a maiden and gets a wicket of the last ball and Australia lose by one one run. Like So 
and it's you know at a time when new zealand and australia was still like a heated rivalry during the 80s when australia was still coming out of their slump i won the 87 world cup and uh, you know they used to play each other a lot more often than they do these days and i think uh, also that was probably the the game or the tournament which convinced martin crow that to do well in the you know conditions like hobart or new zealand they needed the you know wwe guys because willie watson and gavin larson and chris harris did most of the work in that game to help new zealand you know hang on to that very low total so i'm assuming 193 is uh, uh, you know in a famous game as well is what for me is is that game in hobart i don't know where you stand with it that they yeah they held australia to 193 well all that i would add is that if you were worried about the bird watching reference like because you know it could be a jeff crow or it could be a mm. um there you know there might be other sort of bird named people that would be more obvious but if you were wondering how pringle chris pringle could relate to birds yeah. there is a species of bird called the pringles puffback which which oh, wow. which is a west african uh, subspecies of bush shrike like little sort of wren like birds that lives in dry thorn scrub in Ethiopia and Kenya mostly and uh, apparently is known for its scolding and ratcheting calls so when it sings oh. out it it tells you off from the bushes about going too close to its dry thorn scrub home so there is a pringles puffback which is a kind of bird and maybe that Maybe that nails it for Tane that 193 is indeed Chris Pringle. You can let us know Tane, send us a message. Uh, get on the Discord page on the on the final word chat page. There's a nerd pledge page there. And you can go on and leave your responses to our number there. And Chris Pringle, um you know that kind of fits Chris Pringle's description if you read about it. Like he uh, he was someone who was always in your face as a cricketer. and you know the famous or infamous story about him when he thought pakistan were uh, you know messing around with the ball he he decided to show them how it should be done and like you know to decided to teach them a lesson by tampering the ball himself and you know he got a lot of wickets but he also got like you know a fine for it if i'm not mistaken so i don't think anything happened to him i i think I, I, unless he unless he got fined for talking about it later because i I remember reading about it. I think he took 9 in the match and he was using yeah. a he cut a bottle cap into quarters and he and he wrapped some medical tape around it so he yeah. had like a jagged bit and he he said he just scratched the shit out of the ball but he said he did it <laughs> while standing like even at one point he was talking to the umpire while he was doing yeah. it and the umpire still didn't even notice or didn't say anything. He's like he he basically said I made it as obvious as I could. and at one point even stabbed himself in the thumb with the bottle cap and then started bleeding and had like <laughs> blood on his on his whites and reversed the hell out of it and and took nine for so you know yeah i'm not sure if anything happened to him until he admitted it mm. and then 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 yeah, they told him actually uh and next number but it comes in from Matt May it is $5.57 mm. and uh, it comes with this clue this relates to a great day that no one talks about or remembers that occurred shortly before two things went into oblivion oblivion now we've we've both had a crack at this because we have not been too confident at trying to figure this out oblivion's a very strong word we were thinking so initially brad i was thinking is it something that happened just before the pandemic struck mm. um i remember there was that Australia New Zealand game one day game where they called off the series um, but 
but the two teams made 445 runs in that game, not 557. Um, mm. Oblivion. Where two things going into oblivion. Yeah, uh, my first thought was, uh, you know, maybe the uh, uh, match talking about retirements, players just walking away from the game. Mm-hmm. And it says shortly before. So 557 for me was, I mean, I found out was the target that England was set uh, in the third test at the WACA in 2006 during that 5 nil Ashes uh, mm-hmm. win for Australia. And, you know, they, of course, uh, lost by a big margin. And two test matches later, Shane Warne and Glenn McGrath kind of walked away. But did they walk away into oblivion? Not really, I guess. Uh, they almost, uh, I mean, they played the IPL and yeah. Shane Warne kind of, kind of grew uh, into big, even la- larger than life than he was, uh, you know, mm. as a cricketer. So, I doesn't count as oblivion. But does no. do retirements count as uh, someone walking away into oblivion? Well, and, and Glenn McGrath started the, you know, McGrath Foundation Day and all the rest True. of it. I, I would say they were almost more prominent as in retirement mm. than, than beforehand. And, and I think people talk about that Wacker test a lot because that's when Gilchrist made the 57 ball 100 or whatever it was. Um and 59 balls, it, it, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it is a famous match in its own right. Yeah, with the retirements, I thought maybe Misbah Haq and Yunus Khan retiring at the same time. Mm. Pakistan in that test match in the West Indies, the, that's the test that they won with an over to go when Yasir Shah got Shannon Gabriel out. There's the famous bit of uh, Fazir Muhammad commentary, the why did he do that? Um, <laughs> piece, of, course, yeah. piece of commentary with six balls to go. <laughs> I think that was Pakistan's first series win in the West Indies as well. Oh, or maybe it was their second, well, that, but they they yeah. won the series with that by winning that test match anyway. But they made 550 across their two innings in that test, not 557. But also, you know, Misbah went on to coach the national team. You know, I suppose we haven't heard too much from Yunus Khan since retirement, but I wouldn't call it oblivion. Yeah, true. I mean, then I started thinking about maybe... Uh, you know, final test before the war, uh, you know, World War Two, of course, was that famous timeless test, but a lot of runs were scored. And we all know about the ship and all that. Uh, I'm surprised nobody's made a movie about it. <laughs> I guess it would be a pretty boring movie. <laughs> timeless. <laughs> yeah, okay, I think that's why they haven't made it. But looking at the scores, England were chasing 696 and they got to 654. And I guess World War Two starts, and uh, I, you know, I don't know. Two things that went into oblivion. Yeah, lots uh, of things went into oblivion. A lot of things go into oblivion. Exactly, even during a war, especially a world war. So I assume maybe it was that. But mm. again, that number five fifty-seven. Just like yeah, we, I think the last clue is what has really got us thinking a lot more, and maybe why we are so desperate to get it right. Mm. The, the two things going into oblivion, and the word oblivion. I thought I thought India Pakistan bilateral series went into oblivion um, in two thousand and seven. The the last test match the two teams played, Pakistan made five hundred and thirty seven, not five hundred and fifty seven. Mm. So close. I was wondering whether it might be something that happened in Pakistan in cricket before two thousand and nine for the terrorist attack. But there's nothing really that lines up there. Except that, uh, and it could well be this, <laughs> if you count, uh, f- you know, friendships going sour as, uh, you know, things going into oblivion, which is uh, Salim Malik made 557 runs, uh, which I think are the most runs in a Pakistan-Australia series in 94-95. And at the end of that series, uh, 
uh, you know, the stories came out that he had approached uh, Shane Warne and Mark Waugh with the alleged, uh, you know, fixing you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think the the three of them spoke to e- uh, each other after that. I mean, at least Waugh and Warne never spoke to Salim Malik again. So that that relationship definitely went into oblivion, uh, mm-hmm. if that counts. But I, just the fact that Salim Malik made five hundred and fifty-seven runs, and uh, you know, he did come back in play for Pakistan. It's far-fetched, but, you know, Salim Malik and Oblivion kind of go hand in hand. I would say his reputation went into Oblivion, mm. you know, just a, just an innocent sports betting enthusiast looking for a punt, but, <laughs> yeah. but you know, he was yeah. wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, very, very I, know, I mean, sad. when Dennis Lilly and uh, Rod Marsh did it, it was, hey, it's all mm. great, but, like, mm. you know, when you're approached by Pakistani, <laughs> I don't want to stir up a controversy <laughs> yet, but now we can, now that we're no longer in Pakistan. <laughs> Duan Oli Fear took five for 57 in 2017 mm. before um, becoming a coal pack and, and leaving South Africa. Uh, so did he go into oblivion at that point? Well, even if he did, he's back out of oblivion now because there are no coal packs anymore. I found lots it's, of... Looking at the state of English cricket, maybe going to county cricket might count at going to oblivion, I guess. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> um, there... There are lots of one-day internationals with a run rate of 5.57. There's never been a test innings with that particular runs per over, runs per six balls sort of over rate. So the short answer, that's not the short answer. That was a very long answer. But it was a long way of saying, Matt May, that we have NFI. We do not know what this is. So I'm going to throw this to the crowd. If you're listening to this show and you think you can figure out the clue again, a great day that no one talks about or remembers that occurred shortly before two things went into oblivion. If you think you know, get on the Final Word chat page in the Nerd Pledge channel or get on Twitter or send us an email or whatever. You'll figure it out. You can find us on the internet and and tell us what you think it is or, or give us a hint as to what you think it is. And, and Matt, you can do the same and we'll see if we can come back to it on a future show. We've got a double header next up, Barat. Neither yeah. of these numbers have a clue, so it's a free swing yeah. for both of us. The number is $5.28 or £5.28. Paul Murphy's come in sterling and Michael Edelstein yeah. has come up the list thanks to the double header. He's in the AUD. So uh, let's say you're answering it for Paul, but, you know, the answer could apply yeah. to either. You're up first. I am answering it for Paul because uh, I looked up 528 test cap numbers and I came up with a fascinating name John Childs who uh, played uh, just a handful of tests for England in the late 80s and he was uh, when he did make his debut at the age of 36 that made him the oldest debutant for England since 1947 uh, left arm spinner and uh, you know old spinners of course it, we love old, old spinners, spinners on the final word this is this is on story time one of our most repeated niche interest is old spinners especially oh. old spinners on debut so this is perfect oh this is perfect he, he was a lot like uh, your favorite Zulfikar Barber and Noman Ali who we just mm. saw and commentated on a lot in the last few weeks or the, over the last few weeks and John Childs uh, and, and, and what what was fascinating is at, in 1985 he felt it looked like his county career was over. You know, he was playing, uh, he went on to play for Essex, but he spent uh, nearly nine years playing for Gloucester uh, as his left-arm slow uh, spinner. And in 85, he just kind of lost his way. And then uh, he was uh, let go. And Essex gave him a one-year contract 
uh, where he didn't start too well. And, you know, he's already in his mid-30s. He thinks his career is slipping away. But then they they identified something in him. The Essex did. And they said, now nah, maybe we should, uh, you know, work on his bowling. There is something there. And then the great Fred Titmus spent uh, a whole summer with him and apparently uh, figured out that the problem was he was just too slow and uh, that all he needed to, and also that the, his approach going in between the umpire and the stumps wasn't helping. And there was this uh, famous line, he apparently told him that every time John Chai's bowled, he bowled as if he was half expecting the ball to come back at him as a bullet. <laughs> That's how slow he used to bowl. <laughs> so he got him to bowl slightly uh, faster, at faster speeds. And, you know, at 35, it just turned his life and his career around. Suddenly, you know, he starts taking a lot of wickets for Essex. Uh, he gets to move his young family to Chelmsford in this lovely house. And, you know, two years later, he was taking more wickets than Will Edmonds, old spinners, uh, John Embury, old spinners, and Eddie Hemmings. I mean, those are like the three poster. I mean, if you think of uh, uh, Mount Rushmore of old spinners, old mm. English spinners, Edmonds, Hemmings, and Embury are up there, right? Like uh, maybe alongside John Chiles. So, uh, and, he, and he gets to play uh, two tests uh, in 88. Doesn't make much of an impact. Uh, and funnily enough, in 1992, he was uh, brought back into the squad at the age of 40 as a reserve. I think when they were playing against Pakistan at home and unfortunately missed out. Uh, and yeah, I mean, think about it. Like he, till 35, 35, he thinks uh, not only, I mean, forget about getting a test cap. He thinks his county career is over. But then, you know, everything like picks up just because Fred Titmus says, bowl it a little faster and everything huh. turns around and also start coming in a straighter line. Um, and I thought that was fascinating. And that's my, that's my pick for you, Paul. I think that's great. And I also think how annoyed must John Childs have been that it took him so long to figure out, <laughs> try, you know, like if things aren't going well, try something else. You know, have you tried bowling a bit faster? If you're bowling fast, have you tried bowling a bit slower? You know, have you tried yeah. changing your run up? And the, the, the sad thing is when he started bowling a little uh, quicker, Apparently, he they used to make fun of him saying, ha, 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 you're no longer a spinner, you're a more a medium pacer. But it didn't matter, he was picking up wickets and he got, <laughs> he had the last laugh. Like, you know, so people were never yeah. happy with John Childs, whatever I did. Like, you know, whether it was, and then in later years, he became a coach himself. So, huh. you know, I'm sure uh, uh, if he sees a young left-arm spinner bowling slow, hopefully yeah. pulls him aside very early <laughs> on in his career, doesn't wait until he's 36 and tells yeah. him just bowl a little faster. A coach who took 35 years to figure out how to bowl. Um, all right. Well, <laughs> I, I hope he's starting with young players because he needs the time, apparently. Uh, for Michael, I, I looked at this in terms of bowling figures. I looked at five for 28s. Um, mm. You would remember Hardik Pandya smashing up England at Trent Bridge yes. in 2018, five for 28 in the one test that they won in that, that series that they, they lost 4-1 and could easily have won 4-1. There were so many close results. Doug Bollinger's best ever figures in a dozen tests, five for 28. Mm. Uh, we've had a real Sri Lankan theme today, or at least I have. Um, so I, I came back to Sanath Jayasuriya, who took five for 28 um, in a one-dayer against Australia in 1999. In mm. Gaul, he gets Ponting, Moody, Steve Waugh, Warne, 
and his fifth wicket is Jason Gillespie stumped first ball. How many times has Gillespie <laughs> been stumped first ball in his career? Yeah. I reckon that's the only one. Uh, Gillespie then turns around to knock off the Sri Lankan top order, uh, win the game, and end up as player of the match. Uh, this oh. this one's – so there's a few I'm looking at here. This one's even better. You'll enjoy this. O'Shane Thomas, who I know you enjoy the work of, West Indies quick – uh, at Palakele, which is the ground near Kandy in Sri Lanka, two yeah. years ago in a T20, right? He's sharing the new ball. His first over goes single, single, wide, wide, wicket, wicket, dot, wide, wicket. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> His second over goes four, wide, four, wide, dot, 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 wicket. And his third over goes wide four dot six single wide dot wicket. So at this point he gets dragged from the attack. He only bowls three overs in the match, doesn't get to bowl his fourth over, takes five for 28 in three overs and his three overs take 25 deliveries to bowl because he sends <laughs> down seven wides. Sri Lanka still go on to make 171 and nearly win the match. So... I mean, that's an incredible performance just for the, the absolute, like, just just manically smearing your own <laughs> product all over the walls. Like, that's, a, that's an incredible sort of back and forth. And the final five for 28 I came to that I, I thought I'd look at in a little more detail is this. Loretta Bayliss playing for the New Zealand women's team in 1961. Now... Barat, this is this is only the tenth Test match that New Zealand had ever played. They started in 1935. They had a 12 year gap between their first Test and their second Test. Their next one was 47. So they've only played nine times. They've lost five and they've drawn four. They've never won, and they're playing Australia in Dunedin. You know, Australia's a stronger team, pretty much throughout the history of these teams. And and the Kiwis, they boss the game, right? They set it up beautifully. They make 241 declared, bowl out Australia for 193. Add another 138 declared. So that sets them 187, which might seem low. But, of course, this is a bloody three-day game with a rest day. Okay, yeah, kind of ladies can't play three days in a row. They can't play four days. Uh, they have to have a rest day so that instead of playing a four-day match, they get a three-day match. Amazing. They've got about 60 overs to play with. The New Zealanders, they get rid of one of the openers early and then Loretta Bayless gets the ball and turns it on. Oh, she's a man. she's a left arm medium pacer, so she's got the the angle. She bowls for, for Canterbury in the first class stuff. Didn't take a wicket in the first innings. In the second innings, she gets rid of the other opener, Kit Raymond. Then she gets rid of Joyce Christ. What a name for an Australian player, wow. Joyce mm-hmm. Christ. And because if you say it in a really Australian accent, it sounds like an Australian saying Jesus Christ, Joyce Christ, Joyce Christ, oh yeah, oh, Joyce Christ. Joyce Christ. So, yeah. you know. Um, That's what the parents wanted. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. Joyce Christ in the second innings, got out in the first innings and then rose again on the third day. Incredible. <laughs> sure. uh, <laughs> After the rest day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> on the third playing day. Um, <laughs> Velma, she gets Velma Batty, Norma Wilson, the keeper, and the great Una Paisley. So she's knocked off the number two, number three, number four, number five, and number six. Dun, 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 mm. dun, dun. Australia's six for 44. They're in strife and the lower order dig in, the Kiwis keep working away, they chip out a couple more wickets and then right at the close, the Australians manage to hang on for the draw, eight wickets down. New Zealand so close to getting that first win, 
that Loretta Bayliss set up and the rest of her team couldn't finish off. And she's so close in what turns out to be her only test match. Her best figures are five for 28. She stopped playing domestic cricket after that season as well. I assume that's because she got married. There's a marriage Mm. that's recorded and and a lot of women players did stop at that point. And I haven't yet found out why. I, I haven't been able to follow up the story in more detail, but she died five years later. So she, she oh. took five for 28 in her only test match and then she died at the age of 26. So yeah. this, uh, this sad end to the Loretta Baylor yeah. story, but she had that one moment where she so nearly set up her country's very first test match win. That is quite something, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, now I'm very intrigued. We need to find out what happened to poor to her poor soul. Like you know, 26 is really young. I mean, hmm. any in any stage in history. So, yeah, I think I think we've given a good mix from John Childs. Uh, there's a left arm connection here, like you know, yep. left arm spinner who started bowling quicker and and just finally on John Childs, like it's the thing is when he started bowling quicker. He started getting more batters out stumped. He had nine, and it was quite an achievement in one season, one county season, to have nineteen batters getting stumped is mm. is quite something. Yeah, it's unfortunate that uh, you know it didn't happen slightly earlier. And I guess he was competing with the likes of Phil Edmonds and you know the yeah England never had a steady spinner during the eighties, did they? I mean John Embury was there, I guess, but Edmonds and Hemmings and you know all those other guys kept coming and going, but. Anyway, I mean, and then it resulted in Ian Salisbury in 1992, of course. But, yeah. <laughs> That's a topic for another day. <laughs> and then, yes, then to the Tufnell era. Hi, I'm Natalie Jamonis, and you listen to The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. We've got a triple header and then one more. Uh, the triple header mm. goes as follows. It is one $1.76 for Cameron Allen and Srikanth Agaram and uh, £1.76 for Sam Ashworth. Cameron says this, not intentionally a similar number to my last number. That's just the way it's worked out. No clue to start with, so let's see where you go. Bharat, we're going back to Sri Lanka. Um, as, okay. as per the Venga Boys song. Oh, we're going to Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka. Tiri, yeah. Tiri, tiri, tiri. Back to the islands. Uh, we are going to Sri Lanka. <laughs> you and I are going to Sri Lanka in June. Very soon, yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, so we will be singing that song all of the way. In fact, we'll play the whole Venga Boys party album. But then we'll also add Richie Beno singing uh, yeah. Tum Thumping. Yeah, yes. singing Chumba Womba. Yeah, do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I get knocked down, but I get up again. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so Sri Lanka. This I, and and this is relatively recent. This is one of the best test innings I've ever seen. And this was, this is very comically in the series where, um, as listeners to the show will know, Adam Collins has never seen a test hat trick live, and he's very upset about it. And the one test series that Australia played in the last seven or eight years that he hasn't been at was this one in Sri Lanka where Rangana Harath took a hat-trick and uh, timing, timing, baby. Look, this series starts at Palakele, a.k.a. Candy, the place just near Candy, and it starts with Sri Lanka getting smashed up for 117. Australia make 203, the lead is 86, which seems quite a lot in the circumstances, Um, and even more so when the first two Sri Lankan wickets in their second innings fall with the score on six. So they're screwed, right? Sri Lanka is stuffed here. They're they're about to get rolled over. And in comes 
a young man named Kusal Mendes. He's only played six test matches before this. He's 22, 23. He comes in at number four and he just decides to have a crack. I remember him slog sweeping this huge six over mid-wicket. He's rasping drives down the ground. He's lofting the ball against the spinners when he feels like it. And he just goes Mm. for broke and it works, right? So before this, his top score was 53 in in the six (laughs) tests he'd played. He comes in after three balls of the third day's play and bats still stumps. And then he bats on into the next day and he's finally out for 176. At that point, Sri Lanka's got 290. So he's made 60% of the team's runs by the time he gets out just by going for it. Sri Lanka end up 268 ahead and then they roll through the Australians relatively cheaply to win the first test of a whitewash. That's the match where Peter Neville and Steve O'Keefe faced 178 balls in their partnership, mm. which contained one scoring shot, uh, <laughs> which, which was an accidental scoring shot when Steve O'Keefe got an inside edge to find leg for four. So their partnership that went for just under 30 overs was a partnership worth four runs as they tried to to bat out the draw. Um, White Line Wireless were doing commentary on that test. The score was 161 for eight for about two and a half hours. Um, and <laughs> White Line ended up getting T-shirts made with 161 for eight on them because they just called that <laughs> score so many times. It was also a match in which every day, almost clockwork, at the tea break or just after the tea break, it would start raining a big thunderstorm, oh, no. big thunderclouds would yeah. come in, right? And 300 guys would come out and cover the whole ground in, in tarpaulins. And so the Australians on the last day pretty much knew they just had to make it through to tea, as per a famous quote. They didn't actually have to bat till stumps and they were all out just before the tea break and immediately after the tea break, it's, you know, when the tea break would have ended, it started raining. So they, they missed out very narrowly. And it was also a match where an Australian watching it decided to come out, maybe it was the third or fourth day when it was raining and the whole ground was covered in tarps and do a big nude slip and slide across the tarpaulins. That's what you do, yeah. Yeah, and then he got arrested and he ended up in prison. Um, He got sentenced to two weeks in jail in Candy for indecent exposure. And later on in Colombo, I was staying in a little guest house and got to chatting with one of the other guests who it turned out was the judge in that court case who had sentenced him <laughs> to the two weeks. It was, it was a very interesting fella and, and pretty young for a judge, but, yeah, he, he explained, you know, I had to give him something. I had to give him some sort of sentence because we consider this inappropriate to be running across a cricket ground naked and he didn't seem to understand that that was actually not the done thing in our society. And so, you know, he was like, I didn't, I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to be sending him to jail for a year, but I... I, yeah. I had to. I had to. I had to make some sort of statement. So yeah, that was that was 2016, uh, and that was the 176 that Kusal Mendes made to turn around the series against Australia. All I want to know about that court case is like, uh, I would have loved being there just when they would have said, "Okay, this is the evidence we have," and they show the video footage of the guy <laughs> running. <laughs> well, oh. it, it was this huge. It was like a 30 meter slip, you know. Sliding across on his belly right. and and then jumping up, I think expecting to be tackled by security, who were not really that interested in tackling him because you know it was the third session and the play wasn't going to resume. There was just like a couple of guys in ponchos slowly walking out, being like, "Okay, yeah, I guess yeah. we have to chase you off again." And I think he made it over the fence at the far side and ran off the field, but uh, he got picked up somewhere along the line. 
Oh, picked up indeed. Uh, well, uh, I, there's one clue from Shrikant, which mm-hmm. I have nailed. I know what he's talking about. That he says this was an underrated effort and a boring draw in a forgotten series, which might have not been so forgotten if not for this effort. But before I come to Shrikant, Sam Ashworth, our friend who says no clue, mm-hmm. uh, and especially because he's from England, uh, it looks like because he's paid in uh, pounds sterling. I'm going to say he's talking about Michael Slater at the Gabba in his mm-hmm. first ever Ashes Test on home soil, where he makes that incredible 176 on uh, on day one to mm-hmm. set up the Ashes for Australia. In 95 was it? The mm-hmm. Ashes, like the famous Shane Warne Ashes. Yeah. And it, it almost became the trademark Michael Slater. For me personally, that innings I remember very vividly because he just became my favorite Australian batter till the time. And I was heartbroken when they dropped him and got Justin Langer to open the innings. And, you know, that was the end of Michael Slater. So, but that innings I remember very vividly. And, you know, it kind of also uh, told you how bad England were in that series, the way Michael Slater was, uh, you know, walking across his stumps and just whipping everything away. And I was reading a Christian Ryan report from then. And he spoke about how a young Michael Slater, I didn't know this, would walk around in his backyard chewing gum and pretending to be Viv Richards. And, you know, and now that kind of puts into perspective how he went about his cricket. And apparently that one shot he always wanted to play was to walk across his thumbs and just whip the ball away through mid-wicket, which, you know, subsequently he did quite a bit, especially when he was playing against England. But I think that's a bit of Michael Slater's career that doesn't get spoken of. Like how many times that he is what David Warner became later, right? You'd set the summer up, like, you know, set the tone for the summer. And I think 176 is what he made. But coming to um, Shrikant, I think he's talking about a series which I do remember pretty fondly. It's a forgotten series because it was a weakish West Indies who had come to India in 2002. And the 176 he's talking about is uh, Sachin Tendulkar uh, making a 176 in the final uh, in the final links of the final test in Calcutta, which was his first ever test 100 at the Eden Gardens. Uh, he ah. played a lot of test cricket by then in Calcutta, but never got to make one. By which time, you know, Vivius Lakshman had already made the famous 281. Rahul Dravid had a great record. Mohammad Azaruddin had an amazing record at the Eden Gardens, just like Rohit Sharma does these days. And Tendulkar's favorite grounds were more Chennai and uh, Bangalore. But yeah, that for him to get that 100, it's a it was a tricky uh, circumstance as well for India. Uh, a high-scoring series. Uh, uh, I remember that Calcutta test very fondly also because my dear friend Marlon Samuels announced himself. He made a famous test 100. He made his se- debut in that series. And in the final test, uh, he made that great 100. He also made a brilliant 100 in the ODI series in uh, uh, Vijayawada, where they played a handful of games, or maybe just maybe that was only one game. They played it and remembered for Marlon Samuels. But it, this, this was a test where India made what 350 or Sanjay Bangar and Virender Seva, underrated opening combination. Like, you know, if you remember that 2002 period, they won India or played a huge role in India winning in Headingley Leeds. Uh, 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 that test where Ganguly, Dravid, and Tendulkar all made hundreds, but it was a Bangar uh, contribution at the top that set it up. Uh, but anyway, in this test match, uh, India made runs 358. 
and then West Indies just batted and batted. Uh, Bevel Hines got a hundred. Shivnar and Chandra Paul, who at that point India just could not get rid of because India just uh, <laughs> uh, come back from the West Indies where he made a hundred pretty much every time he walked out to bat, and he kept batting. And and this is around the time Chandra Paul's stance really became you know mm. uh, uh, defined in that sense. Like you know now we were speaking about Fawad Alam a lot this time when we were in Pakistan, but that was the turnaround in Chandra Paul's stance and maybe his career. And India, he just dominated. India and also this was that period when Michael Holding wasn't commentating on West Indian cricket because Carl Hooper, my neighbor in Adelaide, was uh, had come back from Australia and taken over mm-hmm. as captain. If you remember, Holding said, "I won't commentate till he's here," and he literally is like two suburbs away in St George's. Carl Hooper. Uh, it's funny how these things work out. And yeah, he again, Carl Hooper had a great run in 2002 against India. Uh, and anyway, coming to Tendulkar's 176. So, you know, India just had to bat out the second innings and, uh, you know, and it was a dead test. India had already kind of taken the lead in the series. I remember the going and watching the Mumbai test match where uh, the Mumbai crowd really, for some reason, were getting stuck into Marvin Dillon. You know, this is before there were so many cameras, right? These days, you can't get away with it. And every time someone abused Marvin Dillon, for some reason, they kept calling him a bastard. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was one of those chants, right? This one is a bastard, that one is uh-huh. a bastard. And Marvin Dillon just happened to be at fine leg. And the uh-huh. North Stand crowd in Mumbai, which is quite notorious, much like the Bay 13, uh, but uh-huh. like slightly, I mean, but the North Stand in Bombay didn't need alcohol because you, you obviously weren't selling alcohol in Bombay. Even now, you don't get alcohol in cricket stadiums for good reason. Imagine what they would have been like with alcohol. But this is without alcohol. They would really give a lot of players grief. But they were going after Mervyn Dillon. But what Dillon would do is at the end of the over, and he didn't know why they were abusing him. It was for no reason. So he would like kind of uh, pretend like he's just stretching his shoulders and uh, big arms as well, long arms as well for Mervyn Dillon and and, a, and really long middle fingers. So he would like kind of like just uh, push his hands to the back and like, you know, he would flash the bird at the crowd. And like, you know, the crowd didn't know what to do. They would keep going after him. And there were a lot of people who were sitting next to me who got like taken away by the cops and for good reason as well. So anyway, this is the end of that uh, series and Tendulkar played a brilliant innings. India were reduced to, I think, 51 for three on the final day. So it got a little tricky. West Indies maybe thought we have a chance, but yeah, he played this, uh, some magical on drives against a decent attack. Mervyn Dillon, Cameron Cuffey, Jermaine Lawson, who you remember had burst onto the scene and he would go on to take six for three in Bangladesh and then get called for chucking. And that was the end of his career. But Darren Powell, who played a lot of test matches in that period for them. So, four-prong pace attack. I guess I don't know whether you can call it four-prong when it isn't Marshall holding Roberts in Ghana, but <laughs> a decent West Indies attack, Gale and... Yeah, is Darren uh, Powell a prong? Does he count as a prong? <laughs> That's the thing. That's the thing, yeah. And Cameron yeah. Cuffey... Like maybe if yeah, the fork you know, is made of plastic, you know. Maybe, yeah. I, still, I think you might not want to call it a soprano, <laughs> even with that, <laughs> even if it was. So, no, and like uh, a lot of uh, part time spin options like Hooper and Gale and Sarvan and Samuel. So, everybody bowled, but Tendulkar was just too good for him for them that day. And also, um, VVS Lakshman made 154. Uh, you know, like I said, he loved the Eden Gardens. So, it doesn't get spoken of as much as his 281 uh, a year prior to that. So, yeah, Srikant's on the money with his 176, and it was, it kind of, 
gets uh, remembered for that innings and also for me personally Mervyn Dillon outwitting the Mumbai crowd uh-huh. and getting a few people arrested <laughs> so i i think i think the Srikanth clue would be saying if india had lost that test then the series would be remembered uh, you know it, yeah. it would so it might have been not so forgotten if not for this effort so it's, that is true. tendulkar made sure it was a draw and therefore Therefore, people yeah. don't remember. Okay. Well, so the last one for Sam Ashworth for 176 that I'll suggest is this. Well, a quick little one for Barat specifically. In the 1948 Ashes in England, Alec Bedser scored 176 runs in the series. <laughs> Your favourite. I know you like to sing the Alec Bedser song to everybody who will listen. Um, is that a cue uh, for me to start singing? Alec you Bedser. might as well. Who taught you to bowl Australia? I mean, it's 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 the only cricket song that Isha knows, regardless. Despite <laughs> the fact that she knows, no, has no idea who Alec Betzer was or what he did, but she does know that he taught Australia like it how to bowl. <laughs> in fact, I think DC, let's drop in ten seconds of the Alec Betzer song right here. Came a sudden disaster by our medium pace bowler Alec Betzer, who taught you to bowl Australia. So, Alec Bedser aside, because this is Sri Lanka week, I'm going to come back to Asanka Gurasina, who didn't get as much love when we did the World Cup story earlier in the show, the 96 World Cup, where he made the, the crucial 66, batting at first drop. But if I go back a few years before that, when Sri Lanka visited Australia in 1989, we've mentioned this series a few times in the last few weeks because of the Hobart test. It's a real spirited series from Sri Lanka when they come over. They play at the Gabba first. They choose to bowl. You know, there's no like, oh, Nasser Hussein kind of angst yeah, about yeah, this. Yeah. They put Australia in and they bowl them out for 367. And then Sri Lanka make 418. So they've got a lead. Um, but they're a bowler down with injury. They can't get through the Australians the second time around. And so it ends up as a draw. But that's a pretty good sort of toe-to-toe punching on. And then this continues in Hobart because they bowl out Australia mm-hmm. for 224. And then Sri Lanka probably underperformed, but they still make 216. So honours even on the first innings, you know, after five innings of the series. And that's when the levy breaks and the Australians get on top. There's the big Dean Jones innings, Australia make 500. But even though Sri Lanka are chasing 500 plus in the fourth innings, they still give it a red hot go and they make nearly 350 in in the fourth dig, which is nothing to sneeze at um, batting last in a test match. So... The first drop through the series is Gurusina, and he doesn't do a lot with the bat, but but they did turn to him to bowl a few times in the series, some of the longer innings especially. He bowled a bit of medium pace, yeah. uh, you know, a bit of uh, – I mean, I don't know if you – Barat will tell me shortly if you, if you saw any of uh, the guru bowling because – Oh, yeah. You know, it, it, it's it, what what are your memories of it, it's hard to turn up any archival footage of you know the guru's best efforts with the ball I mean the the way I would describe his bowling is it would uh, and I, a lot of our listeners in the subcontinent will get this it's like when you're playing gully cricket and there would be this uncle who's just like come back from work and he wants <laughs> to be a part of uh, the game but you when the kids are not so uh, happy about it but like you know he he insists because uh, you know his son is also part of the game and like you know uh-huh. just let him 
Let, let him be part of it for five minutes. And he leaves his briefcase somewhere and he just like bowls off three steps and like, you know, he's he's slightly stocky and doesn't always land the ball where he lands to, but he thinks that he's bowling really well. And he'll tell you after the third ball that back in my day, I used to be much quicker than this, even though you know he's lying. And that's pretty much how I would describe Asan Kagurus and us bowling. Okay. Well, look, in Brisbane, Rolls out the mediums, knocks over Ian Healy and Terry Alderman. Okay, you know, handy. Second innings, gets rid of Steve Waugh and Carl Rackerman. And then in the first innings at Hobart, gets rid of Ian Healy again. The stuff of nightmares. Ian Healy still wakes up in a cold sweat thinking about Asanka Gurusina bounding in. You know, he's bunny. The bunny of the guru um, who just knocked him over again and again in the series. Now, he may have only made 68 runs himself with the bat in the series, Gurusina, but he takes five wickets at a cost of 88 runs. And that is, my friends, a series average of exactly 17.6, which is Sam's number. Well done. And, uh, you know, you should just shout it out of the window, Jeff. Uh, Asanka Gurusina has since course, moved to Melbourne. I think he's been living in Melbourne for 20 years now. So I don't know which part of Melbourne he's at, but maybe he's closer to you than you imagine. It might be like, you know, what Carl Hooper is to me. Asinka mm-hmm. Gurusina could be just a suburb away. So if I drive around yelling out the window, who averaged 17.6 with the ball <laughs> in a series in 1989, he will respond. He'll know. Or, or you could just say, whose bunny was Ian Healy? <laughs> I'm sure he'll know. <laughs> We've got one more number, Parat. It is yours to deal with. It comes in from friend of the show, Glenn Finkeld, and it is $8.81. Jeff Lemon, I have only one regret of, uh, you know, not having been around for this incredible bowling feat, uh, which happened a few years before I was born uh, in 1903, uh, when the great great Len Braun took 8 for 81 uh, at the MCG. In, in the middle of this incredible run for uh, the England all-rounder uh, on Australian soil, where he made three tours, 1901, 1903, mm-hmm. and uh, I think 1907, he wasn't as impactful. But he just comes and starts breaking records uh, where he gets uh, uh, hundreds, he takes a lot of wickets with his medium pace. And, you know, he originally started his career, uh, career for Surrey and then... Uh, you know, Sari let him go and uh, he moved to Somerset and then his career just took off. You know, he started taking over 170 wickets a season and scoring over 1,000 runs in county cricket. And he just broke into that uh, English side. And, and, and like I said, his initial impact on the Ashes was with the bat. But then, you know, come his second tour, goes to the MCG and uh, runs through a, uh, like a proper high-quality Australian batting lineup. You know, Joe Darling and, you know, some of my favourite batters from that era. I watched a lot of nets, you know, when uh, Reggie Duff was out there, as you well know, <laughs> like scoring all those runs in 1904. I mean, in my dreams, I virtually have <laughs> spent a lot of time imagining myself watching these guys in the nets, as you can well imagine. But he was also at the other end when the famous Stip Foster made his 287 and wow. he got a hundred himself at the other end when Len Braun, uh, uh, you know, when Foster got 287. So um, it, it, it was a shortish career. He played 23 tests, but very impactful, especially in, a, in an ashes sense. 
Um, and but it also kind of tells you when you talk of great all-rounders, you look at his numbers. He averaged twenty-five with the bat and thirty-eight with the ball, which don't make for great reading. <laughs> but when he did perform, he was like you know he was unstoppable. And that eight for eighty-one at the MCG still uh, I think right in the top three best figures for an Englishman uh, in an Ashes Test in Melbourne or maybe even in uh, around Australia. And it mm. still stands. And his career with cricket wasn't over. He went on to become a first-class umpire uh, and umpired quite a few games. Uh, but it is a sad end to his life. I think in 1943, um, uh, he had one leg amputated. And then a couple of years later, he had another leg amputated. But he would still make it a point to come to every test match, uh, you know, at Lords. He would sit in uh, in his bath chair. So you have to explain to me what a bath chair is, considering you are all things wisdom for me. And, you know, so uh, he used to come sit in his bath chair. And as part of my research, I also found that till today, there is actually a handwritten note that Len Braun has sent to his friend, Fred. Nobody knows who Fred mm. is which can still be uh, bought online. And it doesn't say much. It just says that uh, he asks Fred to come for uh, uh, to watch Middlesex versus West Indies. And he says, the West Indies were really good for us uh, last time around, but hopefully our boys pick us, pick themselves up or something along those lines. I don't know mm-hmm. why anybody would want to own that note. But if you are one of those that are a Len Braun <laughs> fan like I am, maybe you might be interested. So there's free publicity for that. Well, he in some ways he'd be annoyed with the eight for eighty one at the MCG because two months before that he gets snaked, you know, because eight for sixty eight happens at the MCG only a couple of months earlier from our old friend Wilfred Rhodes. So it, yeah. you know, it's like, come on, Wilfred, did you have to did you have to come in and spoil the party ahead of time? So he didn't quite get the you know he he never got to hold the best figures at the MCG yeah. because he was he was two months too late. But he was close. He was second best for a time until uh, so Graham McKenzie took eight for probably oh, about seventy years later, I suppose, late sixties. Yeah. And there's the there's the Arthur Maley nine for in in nineteen twenty one, and then yeah. the Safras Noah's nine for tops that the nine for eighty six in nineteen eighty. So I've just looked up bath chairs, Barat. Uh, a bath mm. chair was a a rolling chaise or light carriage for one person with a folding hood which could be open or closed. It's like a, a tiny little, I, I guess it's an antecedent to a wheelchair because the the images that I'm seeing are three-wheeled, mm. like a little, like an adult pram um, oh, that you right. could be rolled around in um, given that you, you know, if you had your legs knocked off then you weren't going mm. to, you know, you were going to need some, some assistance. There are modern variations of a bath chair that are like a plastic chair that you can use to sit in the shower if you need help to uh, to be able to shower safely. So there's a modern bath chair versus the old-fashioned wicker three-wheeled bath mm. chair, which is what what Len Braund used to get wheeled yeah. into Lords in. You always learn something new. Uh, when, you know, I, For me, all, every time I speak to you, I learn something new. And also, that's the beauty of story time. Uh, yeah, you know, you come into it thinking you know a lot, but then you leave... Like I always do, having a lot, learned a lot more. And Len Brown also a fantastic slip fielder, famous for taking catches at leg slip after having started at slip. He could always, and Ollie wants to break us up. But uh, yeah, and also was a uh, renowned coach, had a huge role to play with Duleep Singh in early in his career. 
So he, uh, he didn't take 35 years to work out if he should bowl a bit faster. <laughs> yeah, I think John Childs would have taken a lot more test wickets <laughs> if, uh, you know, Len Brown had taken him under his wings for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, the dogs are restless. Um, you're about to go on holiday. So I think it is time for us to wrap this show up. Uh, this has been Storytime. If you want to be part of Storytime, it's very easy. You go to patreon.com slash the final word. You find us there. You sign up. You put in a number of the amount that you want to send. You can leave it for as long or as short as you want um, and you can then get access to our Final Word chat page. You can jump in there where there are lots of people talking cricket and having fun and being nice to each other. It's the most wholesome corner of the internet um, and your number will come through. You'll be part of the show and you'll help us keep making The Final Word twice a week and um, help us be able to do things like go to Pakistan and go to Sri Lanka and cover the cricket and do the things that we do a thank you to you Bharat, for being part of the show once again my absolute pleasure and you are right i am off on a holiday off on a road trip to sydney with the dogs very good with two two dogs and two people in one car um i'm sure it will be very cozy all the way uh thanks to bad producer uh, podcast network we are on that particular label. They do all of the work week in, week out to keep things going. Uh, thanks to Dave Collins who edits the show as well. And uh, thanks especially to everyone on Patreon who supports it. This has been Storytime. Uh, we'll be back with the weekly show with me and Adam reunited around about Wednesday next week. We'll see you then. I had to go about it.